morning. Happy Friday, my little wenchy witches. That's what we're calling ourselves now. It's autumn. And welcome back to another episode of Miss Congeniality. How the fuck are you? I'm doing really well because I saw Funny Girl last night and we need to discuss it. And I think what I'm about to say is going to surprise you guys. So I was dealing with like a moral kind of back and forth as to whether or not I was going to go see it. And then someone made the point that like 200 people lose their jobs if that show closes. So the decision to cast somebody who's going to bring in tickets and bring in like people to come see the show is a decision to keep the the vitality of the show going strong. So with that in mind, I decided to go see it, not to support Leah Michelle, but to support the show. And also because I was curious to see the comparison, compare contrast between Beanie and the original revival and then this one and I honestly didn't feel like super super blown away by the difference in the productions like the only difference is that Leah Michelle can sing better but I don't think that she was as funny as Beanie and I don't think that she was as good of an actress and I don't want to play a comparison game at all because I think they gave different and uniquely beautiful performances but overall I think a lot of people expected to love it so much more I didn't and I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying as close attention, but I didn't notice how like a ton of different changes, like the production was pretty much the same to me. And then Don't Rain My Parade was amazing. And that's really how I felt. Like I thought she was a, did a really great job, but like you pay the big bucks, they should do a really great job. Like it's Broadway, baby. So that was my take on it. I'm not going to say like run and sprint to go see it. But like if you are in the market to see a Broadway show, like I recommended it the last time I saw it and I still kind of feel the same way about it. Um, so yeah, it was really good, but like I have seen so many things since we last talked. Firstly, Ben Platt, he was so good live. Like, listen, he is one of those nepotism babies that I'm like, no, but this bitch can sing. Like he can belt, he can sing, he's so fucking talented. So that was really fun at the garden. I also saw Lizzo at the garden. She was like sickeningly good. So good. So good. Um, and I saw the Luckiest Girl Alive movie premiere. Um, well, I went to the premiere and I saw the movie. And yeah, I don't have like major thoughts. I thought the movie was good, but it lacked a really big trigger warning that I struggled with because I don't prefer to watch any descriptions of sexual assault in any capacity. It's not something I handle well. And in addition, um, there was a school shooting scene and I just wish there was a trigger warning. Maybe that's on me that I should have done more research as to what the movie was about, but I'm not used to like in our day and age, there being a general lack of trigger warning when something is going to be shown to a large group of people so I just think like go in with that knowledge um you definitely need a trigger warning for it but overall I thought it was a good movie and then I went to the after party and Mila Kunis is just like stunning she's gorgeous she's everything of the sort she really is um and so those were kind of like the things I've seen in the last week since we chatted last um and I have to tell you guys I'm recording in my room right now some people podcast in studios some people podcast from their rooms I'm like a hybrid podcaster because I do have a yeti microphone that I love um and because I have a guest today which we're gonna get into I decided to do it at my apartment but I forgot about this last year my room is so fucking drafty and cold it is freezing cold in here I am wearing a turtleneck and a sweater. I'm pretty sure it's 60 degrees outside. It is brutal how cold my room gets in the winter. Like if I didn't already stay at my boyfriend's apartment five days a week, I'm going to now twofold because it is frigid in here. Like I cannot describe it. It's so drafty. I just think it's a drafty bedroom. It's like front facing in the apartment. So I'm literally freezing. Um, 
And that's kind of like the best update I can give you at this moment in time that I'm freezing fucking cold. Also, it's October, which is like my favorite month. My boyfriend's birthday, my mom's birthday. I don't know what to get my mom. If you guys have any recs on what to get a Libra for her birthday, just hit me up because we're struggling and by we, I mean my brothers. And it's just been a lot, um, ultimately. <laughs> so please help us. We need aid in figuring out what to get her. And happy birthday to any people that are also celebrating in the Libra season. Upcoming, I'm going to the Giants game for my mom's birthday, which should be really, really fun. And I don't have that many other plans. My boyfriend's moving, so we're going to do that. And his parents are coming in town, so that'll be nice. Oh, and then next month, I'm going to San Francisco with him for his work trip. And then I'm also going to Houston. So there'll be tons of opportunities to maybe accidentally bump into some of you guys in those places if you're there. I'm really excited. I'll also be in Boston this month at Northeastern. And I'm speaking to a group on campus, but I should be around. I have a free day on Saturday, so that should be really fun. And I'll be visiting with my brother, which I'm really looking forward to because I just feel like I miss him and I haven't seen him in a hot segundo so that'll be really nice and really fun um I feel like my week hasn't been boring but I feel like it was boring like I've just been working editing the book I've actually been connecting to a lot of people I haven't seen in a while I'm doing a resurgence of socializing not like not like going out but just like seeing people I haven't seen in a while feels really good I urge you to do it if you haven't done something like that lately and just like watching Halloween movies and getting in the spirit for fall though I do hate like seasonal transitional dressing I hate wearing clothes I hate getting ready I hate getting dressed when I don't know what the weather is like I don't know how to react to like 58 degrees I don't know how to dress for that weather Wait, also I'm dying. I tried to text my boyfriend for that stupid fucking like, what would I be if I was blank trend? So I go, what would I be if I was a food? He goes, angel food cake because you're an angel. Then I go, what would I be if I was a drink? He goes, red wine. Then I go, what would I be if I was an over-the-counter medication? He goes, vitamin C, which by the way, that's not an over-the-counter medication. Then he goes, why are you asking me these? And I go, what would I be if I was a body part? He said, eyes. I go, what would I be if I was a topping for toast? He said, Nutella. Decent decent showing but ultimately vitamin c i was hoping he was gonna say like prune lax i don't know my chronic constipation like something that would aid that a little bit but no vitamin c i guess that means i have a sunny disposition which is kind of nice okay also i don't even care about spoiling my halloween costume i really wanted to be Cher and sunny um, and he said no he wants to be Elvis and Priscilla which I feel like is gonna be super fucking overdone but whatever I also like it's the weekend that he's moving it's his birthday and his parents are in town and like I hate going out so I probably will just like dress up for a picture and that's how I know I'm becoming elderly and geriatric the fact that I'm like I'm gonna dress up for a picture bro I kind of want to skip to the good part like when I'm taking my kids trick-or-treating and then I eat all their candy afterward that actually doesn't sound good at all. I don't like children. I don't know why I said that. I'm really feeling like today this is a FaceTime call where I'm just venting to you guys. I'm telling you the truth about how I feel. I know for a fact I'm going to like my own kids, but in general, kids are not really my thing. I don't. So I'm a very high frequency, high vibrant person. Like I'm go, 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 go. When somebody's asking questions and they don't fully understand something because they're, you know, four years old, I can't. We got it. I'm like, pick up the pace. Come on, come on. I'm just not patient. That's my problem. So I'm not patient enough for kids. And I would be a terrible teacher. And that's why I think that the best, most incredible, like, giving selfless profession that you could possibly be as a teacher I do not comprehend how people are teachers every day of my life I wake up and think that teaching is the hardest job that has ever existed 
that to be a teacher you are literally or like a pediatric like surgeon or a pediatric nurse or like anybody that deals with kids and has to be patient I look up to because I'm the opposite of patient and it might be the ADHD but I'm not fucking patient so I know one day I'll probably like my own kids but at this point in time when someone's like showing me a pic of a kid and they're like this is my niece I'm like I'm happy for you that you connect with that child but like if that child and I were in a room together we would just stare at each other blankly children also don't understand me we don't click and I always feel bad about that I just saw a TikTok of a lady being like if you don't like children like you fucking suck and I was like I'm, I don't hate children like when I see cute babies or like cute toddlers I'll be like oh but like I don't I'm not patient enough for a child right now in my life or to understand them like any of my little cousins or like whatever like I'm just like we aren't on the same page <laughs> okay sound off in the comments um sound off in my dms do you like kids yes or no and why or do you know you're gonna like your own kids one day or other one do you like looking at babies and kids and thinking about how you would like to have one one day but currently you're like that's not for me I think I'm kind of living there where it's like I like to like see a kid and be like cute or like the TikTok babies like I love them but ultimately I'm not a kid person I'm like I like babies and then I like adults <laughs> you know what the scariest demographic of people is it's seventh grade girls tell me I'm wrong and if any of your seventh grade girls bless your heart and soul you scare me a tiny bit you do and if you like me please let me know if you're in seventh grade actually if you're in seventh grade don't listen to this maybe I, I think that you shouldn't be but I could be wrong sound off in the dms if you think seventh grade girls and boys seventh graders are the scariest demographic of people and and to get them on your side is impossible like they make me feel elderly more elderly than I already do but anyways we have a guest today, and this guest is a very special person in my life. Um, you guys have heard me mention her 1,000 times. She is my best friend, Veronica. She lives in London, and she is the weirdest fucking genius that I've ever known. And she also gives the best, most sound advice. Like, I swear to God, she's like an old soul, but also like she's not from this. She's not from this universe. Like she's a strange person. Like you're gonna get a great vibe for what I mean, but she's the most entertaining human being alive. Um, and she's going to give you guys some great advice about her decision to leave boarding school and move across the country world, the world by herself and kind of how she handled all of that. And then also we're going to talk about like conspiracy theories and like weird celebrity shit because she is obsessed with all of that stuff and she is the most entertaining person on the planet earth. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I know that I am and I miss her very dearly. So just hearing her voice and recording an episode with her was like a dream come true of mine also sorry for the strangest ever intro that you ever got from me I'm just feeling a little bit weird today I think I'm like about to get my period and it's so cold in my room that I think my body is um like becoming icicle and and because of that I just can't even form my own thoughts right now so it's probably good that I'm interviewing somebody else today and that I'm not having to um focus on you know delivering a lot of like grandeur ideas because I don't really have them in my brain right now at least but maybe I will as we start getting into the episode okay everybody welcome to the show my best friend Miss Veronica how are you today welcome hi I'm very excited I'm very nervous happy to be here I can't believe that you're on the show because we've been talking about this for so long about like having you come on and just talking about everything and it's happening I know. I mean, I think I was honestly, like, made to do podcast. Like, I feel like we podcast in 
iMessage like all day long. Life. Well, because what we do is we send those voice memos. I'm and you started this for me, but I'm a big voice memoer now. Like I don't text anyone back. Oh yeah, the voice memo is great because I think it's really a format that allows you to just really waffle on and on and on which is my favorite thing no it really allows you to just keep talking and keep talking and after I record mine I'll re-listen to them to be like I really made a point like I really I always I always listen to mine back I'm like wait I'm like wait am I a fucking genius like I'm so smart um I think that you're also my first guest to ever podcast with me live from the UK Oh my gosh. Well, very exciting. So, if you guys know, I'm live from, from London. London. She's live from London. Um, well, I wanted to just like open things up. Maybe give me like a little elevator pitch in your own words, who you are, and then like let's talk and tell everybody like how we met and sort of like our dynamic in life. Okay. So, currently, my life right now, my name is Veronica, as you know thus far. I'm 23. I live in London. I'm in my final year of university at King's College London. I'm studying digital culture. Um, I'm a Leo, Sun, Capricorn Moon, Pisces Rising. That's why you're like um, low-key an ally with my mom because you both have a Pisces Rising. No, Carrie and I, (laughs) we get each other. (laughs) You really do. Really do. You um, really do. Are you blonde or brunette right now? Oh, that's a good question because I thought I went brunette. And like, I I think I'm brunette right now. But I guess the front of my head, like the face framing pieces have some blonde highlights. So all my friends keep telling me that I'm still blonde. But I believe that I'm brunette right now. What do you think about me going dark? Like dark brown? I am always, I think you should do the dark brown with the straight across little bob. You know, I'm a big fan. Yeah, like the short kind of blunt bob. Yeah, and also like it's winter. Get into, you know, the dark academia kind of It's so dark academia. So let's, how about you tell everybody from your point of view? Because I feel like you instigated our friendship. So I feel like it's only fair to tell everyone how we met. Oh, I definitely did. You definitely did. Well, okay, this is kind of my general strategy for making friends. But I think if you want to be friends with someone, you just pretend like you already are friends. Yes. And nine times out of ten, they go along with it. That's, <laughs> they pick up, you know, where you left off. That's such so I think that's, a good point. Yeah, I mean, like, why do you need to go through the awkwardness of being like, so, like... Just pretend like it's normal to ask someone for lunch or whatever it is. But in our case, um, Eli and I went to high school together before I left to go to boarding school. And, you know, we knew each other, I would say, in passing, right? Like, we weren't friends. It was just like a small school, so we knew who each other was. Yeah, exactly. And, like, we probably had, like, a gym class together once, maybe, I think. Ever. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but oh, we actually did speak about this the other day, though. I did like confront you in the library once. No, sorry. <laughs> confrontation makes it sound so funny. Well, no, the library was a lie. place for confrontation. You did come up to me, though. I remember now. Yeah. I, and I had a question about something and I wanted Eli's advice. 
it was like a, I was considering doing an academic program that Eli had done. And so I wanted to know about it. But we were like, we didn't. I think that was our first conversation ever. We it was. That. No, it definitely was. But so then a few months later, I decided I was going to join the drama club. I had never done. I grew up a dancer, uh, you know, ballet trained dancer my whole life. And I took a step back from ballet at this point in my life and, you know, wanted to do something a bit more creative. And so I decided to join the drama club, which I had never done any sort of theater before. Also, and it should be um, noted that like you in high school, like, do you know how like the, the name Veronica is like stereotypically like the mean girl? You weren't a mean girl, but you were like ethereal. Like you were very well liked in your grade. Like you're pretty popular. You're pretty like it kind of wasn't the thing that people in your group did. Drama club. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would have called myself popular, but. Well, you're not going to call yourself be- that, but like I will. <laughs> <laughs> definitely like, well, also the kids who did the drama club, that was like a tight knit group. Oh yeah. So no, it was a family. I was coming from a completely different social circle. Um, and I was like, Hey, you know, I like, I like performing. Maybe I'll, I'll do the musical, which was Bonnie and Clyde, for anyone wondering. Um, <laughs> and on the first day of auditions, um, I decided I was going to bond with Eli over boys, over two boys who are now exes for the both of us. But no, we um, were like seeing them and they were in the same group. And they were friends. So I was like, OK, here's my in. I'm going to bond with Eli. And then we had a, had a bit of a chat. And then... I think I told you we were going to be best friends. No, you were like, I just like know we're going to be best friends. And I was like, this is so weird. Also, I was kind of like, <laughs> I was like really high strung at that moment in the early days because if I didn't get the lead, I was literally dropping out of the fucking musical. Like it was my show. Like everyone was saying it. And there were like junior girls because you were a junior. You're a year younger than I am. So there were like junior girls that were trying to get my part. And I didn't know like what your intention was of joining the drama club. So I was like, until I like have this role, we're not going to be anything. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wait, it's also so funny because looking back, like, guys, just, you know, I cannot sing to save my life. Like not even a little in these auditions. I like honestly made a mockery of the whole thing, which like what's funny in the moment, looking back, questionably rude. Wait, but you booked. You booked, like, head dancer. I did. I was dance captain, and I had, like, every single... You know how, like, they have to give someone in the ensemble a line? Every line. That was, like... There was a line. Someone needed to pass off a bag. It was me. I was, like, oh, my gosh. I have some star quality. It was you and my brother, and the funniest part was, like, everybody else was fucking mad because you came in and they had all been there for so long and like it would literally be like okay somebody needs to stab the like guy who's robbing the other guy veronica and like so many people wanted to be the stabber like people were like desperate for that like that (laughs) moment or it was like okay like someone needs to like improv a little bit in the beginning of this scene veronica like and it was so funny because she had never done drama club and everybody else had been doing it for like three years yeah, there was there was some definite beef going down. But honestly, looking back prior to boarding school, that was like those months were definitely like my fondest high school memories. We had so much fun. Yeah, no, we really did. And I'm trying to like remember or think back to like when did it go from us like 
being like friends at the drama club to you like living at my house like what was the pipeline like I don't remember the first times that you came over for like family dinner and stuff I you know I honestly don't remember either it's kind of when I look back one day you and I weren't friends and then the next day we were best friends but it's exactly what I said was gonna happen I told you I went up to you and I said we're gonna be best friends and I was a hundred percent right like I feel like that's a theme like you kind of predict things yeah like a little bit sometimes I'm way off (laughs) I'm either way off or I'm a hundred percent on the money But what I do know is that we were really, really close by the time you decided to go to boarding school a year later. Can you tell us about your decision to go to boarding school and what that transition was like, especially because it was later in high school? So like to go to a new school is definitely a unique experience, but I also feel like it's kind of a universal and like a lot of people have to transfer schools. Yes. So I, like I mentioned earlier, grew up in the ballet world. That was really my whole life as a child, you know. I was in the studio like 35 to 50 hours a week, depending on the week. It was a full-time job essentially. And um, I had had some injuries and, you know, complicated feelings about spending that much time at the studio. You know, especially in high school, you want to go to the parties, you want to go to the football games. And I was having to make all these sacrifices. And so I decided to take a step back from the ballet world and then I was left with a life in you know this high school that I didn't love I wasn't super into the area and I just felt like I needed a change you know if I was gonna not be going down this path of being a dancer and you know or a dance major in college or anything like that I really wanted something completely different and so I had decided to apply to boarding school because originally when I was in eighth grade, I thought about going, but ended up not because of ballet. So I was like, well, maybe this is the time. And so I applied to a bunch of schools, did the tests and the interviews and the tours and ended up at Taft in Connecticut. Go Big Red if any Tafties are listening. Yes. So I repeated my junior year and did my senior year there. Um, and it was amazing. I love Taft. You know, every high school is problematic in and of itself and every school has their problems. I'm not going to act like it was the most perfect environment. It definitely wasn't, but I had an amazing time. I had an amazing experience. It really completely changed my life. I'm a completely different person, you know, after going and I loved it. And now my kids are 100% going to go to boarding school. I was just talking about this in the intro. I was saying that, like, I don't vibe with kids. Like, I'm not patient enough for kids. So the sooner they could exit my home, the better. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad saying that. But, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. But when I think about having a child and I want my own kids one day, I do. I'm just like, but what about my my life? Like, am I a little selfish? Maybe. But I think our generation as a whole feels like that. Yeah. Well, I think also it's really hard at this age to conceptualize. You know, I want to have kids very young, but I want to have kids soon. I have terrible baby fever, but we'll get to that. Um, But I think also at this age, it's really hard to like, if you aren't planning on having kids right now, it's very hard to conceptualize a life 
with children because who knows what your life is going to look like in six years. You know, it could be completely different. So I think, you know, it's hard to say. And I also think it's different when it's your kids. You know, when you're out at a restaurant and there's a a kid throwing a tantrum or whatever, it's easy to be like, oh, kids are so annoying. But I think it's different when it's your kids. You know, you know them. You're right. They're like your... Same as like, you know, a friend, like... You might think something is annoying that someone else does, but if your friend does it, you know, you're not that bothered by it. Yeah, you're just like, whatever. Um, Well, back to boarding school, can you, like, give brief advice on, like, how to make friends when you're coming into any sort of new environment where you're the outsider? Because I feel like a lot of people, like, when you join a new team at work or you get a new job or you move to a new city, like, it's really overwhelming to make organic friends, especially break into groups that have already been established. It's not like you're a freshman or it's not like... You know, I think especially with like adulting and like getting jobs and stuff like a common theme is like you're coming into these like already organized, structured places. So like how did you kind of like make friends and like find community when you were coming in as an outsider? Well, it definitely wasn't like an instant thing. You know, I didn't show up on day one and all of a sudden have best friends for life. But um, I think the most important things for me at that time, and also I still think now, was that I always was 100% myself. You know, I think if you mold yourself to try and fit what you think someone else is looking for in a friend, then when you kind of shed that facade, you realize the two of you don't even make sense as friends because they elected to be friends with someone who doesn't even exist. So I think you have to, you know, you can't put anything on. You really have to be yourself. And I think you have to be okay with things taking a while. I mean, I like the first two months, I remember crying to my mom a lot being like, I don't know if I made the right choice, you know, socially it's a bit hard and, you know, there were problems and whatever. But looking back now, if I had just been okay with that sort of slow timeline, I think it would have smoothed a lot of things over. I think, you know, we expect things to be instantaneous. You know, you show up to work at a new job and all of a sudden everybody wants to be your best friend and everyone's inviting you for drinks. And that's not always how it works out. If it does, I mean, great. That's amazing. But typically it's important that we don't get stressed out about, you know, things taking a while. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, So then like after this and this was a really good for our friendship I think that you and I were both going through a changing time at the same time because I went to college because you were a year below me so when you leave for boarding school I leave for college so I think yeah. that was really good for our friendship that you left when you did because it wasn't like oh my best friend's still in high school and I'm like listening and at our high school in New Jersey and I'm listening to like her vent to me about things that I experienced last year or that I'm kind of like removed from now it was like we were both going through those like changes of like looking for new friends and like meeting new guys and like you were kind of in a collegiate environment given that you were at boarding school um so then eventually you decide to go to school at NYU tell us about your decision to go there And then tell me about your decision to leave because you did leave NYU. So I visited Eli at Michigan my junior year at boarding school. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to go to Michigan, go blue. It's going to be amazing. Also, we should note that you had a perfect score on your ACT. So like we thought. Not perfect. 
35. Okay, but like, like smarter than me, smarter than me. Smarter than I am. Am I? Smarter than Eli. You are smarter than Eli. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Debatable, but I tested well. Let's, let's leave it at that. But I really wanted to go to Michigan and, you know, shit happens. Didn't get in. Was pretty devastated. We were at Dear Evan Hansen when you got to birth. Wait, this is the best part. Oh my gosh. How could I forget? Eli's younger brother, Jack, and I are uh, applying to Michigan at the same time (laughs) and getting our results back on the same day. While we're at Dear Evan Hansen, the musical on Broadway. We scheduled to go see Dear Evan Hansen. And when I say we scheduled, the Rollo children were given tickets as a Christmas present and and said, Oh, Veronica, just buy a ticket in our section. Wait, but like, but like, why is that the story of your life? It's like the Rallo children were planning on doing this. So they were just like, Veronica, tag along. But it could never be, but it could never be like the same row. So you were always like, no matter what we were doing, you were like a row behind. I was like a row behind and a few seats over. So you guys were like diagonal from me. But so this whole day, Jack finds out like, late afternoon that he gets into Michigan I have heard nothing and we're getting to the city and we get to the theater and we get into the theater and I'm checking my emails you know refreshing 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 every 20 minutes and the show's about to start so I decide you know what check I'll check one more time before um and as I open my phone and refresh my email the theater lights start dimming and I have a new email at the top informing me that I was deferred later on, months later, rejected. Um, and then Dear Evan Hansen started. And so I was crying before any actor even stepped out on stage. And I'm sitting next to strangers. And you guys are like seven seats down from me in another. It was so dramatic. But honestly, looking back, hysterical. Such a good, uh, also like a good memory. Like we. Because we can look back and just laugh about all this stuff now. But, oh, my gosh, was it funny? It was so funny. So then we decided NYU. Yeah, so I didn't – I hadn't really applied to any other schools. So I get this deferral from Michigan. I throw together a list of random schools. NYU, I had – NYU, I had never even really thought about but said, okay, I'll, I'll apply. And when it came down to it, it just – it made the most sense for a bunch of different reasons, given all the other schools I had gotten into. So I said, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, at that point, I wasn't feeling too picky because, you know, I didn't have really strong feelings about any of the schools that I had gotten acceptances from. So I said, OK, well, we'll go with NYU. I decide I'm going to major in math, <laughs> mathematical analytics, which uh, don't even get me started. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, you're good at uh, it. You're good at it. Yeah, I I am good at math, but like, you're a woman in I don't STEM, a mathematician. Like, what, I don't know what I was thinking with that. But um, yeah, I decided to go to NYU. I go. First semester is great, but I'm spending a ton of money, and going out all the time and second semester starts and as the weeks are kind of passing by i start to really question like what the hell am i doing with my life i'm 
spending all this money, you know, I'm living like this crazy life in New York and I wasn't even really feeling like super happy there. And it was a bit of a hard thing to come to terms with because I think a lot of people in New York are, you know, die hard New York or nowhere. Yeah. And I'm all of a sudden feeling like, well, maybe it's not New York. And that, you know, I felt like I couldn't vocalize that to my friends. I started to think, what's wrong with me that I don't love New York? You know, it, do I have a problem? And eventually just said, no, you know what? This isn't the place for me. I got to move. I got to do something else. So I decided to take a year off. I took the year and I moved to London in that year and I started off as a nanny and then was hopefully going to do a bunch of traveling in the later half of the year. But then COVID happened and I had to come home and lived with my parents until the fall of 2020 when I moved back to London to start at King's. And we just absolutely love this journey for you so when you were leaving NYU like I know that this was a really difficult decision for you and like going with your gut was really hard but how did you block out like what people would say about not only leaving like such a prestigious university in a city that so many people especially from our area are like obsessed with but also like you're going to London where you know nobody to to nanny for a year and taking a year off your education which is something that from our area is also seen as like sort of taboo just because people are like so big on higher education which is like a tremendous privilege that we have but I also don't believe that higher education is technically for everyone and I also like firmly believe in gap years and people like taking their mental health space and also just like doing whatever makes them happy but of course there was like noise and like people talking about it and talking about a decision that you made for yourself like how did you block out what those people would say and also just like go with your gut to know like okay I'm going to go nanny in London. I don't really give a fuck about what other people are going to say about that choice. Yeah, I think because I sat and struggled with the decision privately for so long, you know, probably from like March until August, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I knew I didn't want to return to NYU, but I didn't I didn't know what that was going to mean for me. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I think because I spent so much time going back and forth in my own head before speaking to anybody else, by the time I had made the decision and then shared that with people in my life, I knew that I was making the right choice. I knew that I had thought through every variable and was doing what was going to be best for me in the long run. So when it came down to it and people had things to say, which people had a lot of things to say. I didn't care because I knew I was making the right decision for me and you know it was my life I had to live it and I had to you know be the one to make this decision and if if those people were right and I was making the wrong decision then I had to find that out for myself too I really I felt so strongly about it before I told anybody that I think that was really the saving grace, that people's opinions didn't really even have the opportunity to sway me. And it's also just like what you said, like if 
let's just say like someone is making a decision right now as to whether or not to move somewhere or move away from family and friends like if the people that are criticizing your choice end up being right that maybe it was a mistake like wouldn't you rather find that out on your own and like learn those lessons on the way than like wonder like what if exactly like I wasn't wasn't risking my life you know I wasn't going to be in any sort of dangerous situation I I wasn't jeopardizing my safety so when people were saying like oh you're gonna you know ruin your life it was things that you know it's not like anything that bad would have happened to me what I would have taken a year off and then gone back to NYU like it the risks weren't really that bad so you know, if if it was going to go wrong, I had to figure that out on my own. And I, I needed to, you know, go through all the steps and fail myself rather than fail in some theoretical way. Yeah. And so you moved to London, like to nanny for this family that you find and you're going to live with them and you're like effectively going to be like working for them. That's how you're going to make your living while you're there. And you don't literally don't know anybody there. What was that like getting there and showing up and like going from like being a college student who doesn't have that many cares in the world other than like getting to their lecture to like nannying for a family and like providing for yourself in that way in a foreign place that you've never lived before? Yeah, so luckily um, I had been a camp counselor before, both at a day camp and at a sleepaway camp. So I felt like I was comfortable with the responsibilities of, you know, the job caring for children and, you know, ensuring their safety. I wasn't too stressed about that. And I love kids. So if anything, I was more excited about it. Um, And I also had a few friends who were studying abroad in London at the time. So I got very lucky that I knew people who were going to be there from the minute I got there. And I wasn't, you know, too worried about the job. This is another reason, you know, why I wasn't super stressed about making this decision. I really, it didn't seem all that risky to me. You know, I, I, and I knew I could, I could make friends. And even if I didn't make friends, I could at least have a story to tell or, you know, I could go try new things. I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about it because I knew at that point in time, I hadn't made any permanent decision yet. Um, so I really just wanted to have the most fun in the best time that I could. And I really did. It was, it was great. It was everything that I needed to figure out, you know, who I wanted to be at that point, what, what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, where I saw my life going once the year was up. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I, it was a a lot more responsibility, I think, than I was used to at that point in time. But I just really took everything in stride. I was excited. I was happy to be there. It was great. So, like, I feel like there was, like, a healing journey that happened in that time where you really, like, found yourself. Obviously, not everyone has, like, the full ability to just, like, go to a foreign country to do that. But, like, how do you recommend people sort of like start that path of self-discovery because I feel like you got into a lot of stuff while you were there that were like hobbies and things that you like hadn't really been doing before or like lost sight of like how did you kind of find out who you were and what you wanted while you were there well I will say having the time to you know sit alone with your thoughts is an incredible privilege 
but I did a lot of that. I was in a lot of therapy because also when I had left NYU, the kind of social blowback ended up being a lot more taxing than I think I had expected. So I was in a lot of therapy. Um, And I really, I think that's kind of when I began living my life with intention. You know, and I think from that point forward, I started really thinking about every single move I make. How is that contributing to this future life I want to have? And it started with, you know, small things. I started reading a lot again. Now I read around three books a week. I don't watch too much TV. I mean, I love TV and movies, but every once in a while I'll indulge in something on television. But most of the time I read and I picked that back up when I first got to London, which was amazing. I also started journaling a lot, which was so, so, so helpful. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest thing which again is such a privilege, was that I really had time to just think. I didn't, you know, obviously I had to take care of kids, but they were in school from the hours of seven until three. I really had a whole day with no responsibilities where I could just think. And I think I had never thought about anything, you know, that deeply before, much less who I am and the person I want to be. I'd never really taken the time to actually get really in touch with myself and, you know, figuring out what a genuine life meant to be meant to me at that point, at least. I was just going to say, like, I think it's a really simple practice and intentionality that people could take away from this where it's like, I personally, when Veronica was experiencing this growth, I didn't I I was somewhere that was much more loud with a lot more distractions. I was in college. But I think like what that journey taught me is that even though I didn't have maybe as much time to just like reflect and like really think and start living. I like what you said when you started to live a life that like was going to put the pieces in place for the life that you wanted on my personal end I would just find pockets of time when I could think and maybe that was like an hour where I would just put my phone down and like just sit in my room or go on a really long walk without a distraction without even music and just like really reflect and like there's no right way to think like you kind of just let your mind start wandering and like uh, maybe at first it's racing but then it starts to just like wander with you or even taking like one day or like one chunk of time a week where you can just like dedicate toward your thoughts and like giving your thoughts space I think like my therapist always says that you have to let all your thoughts have room to like speak even the negative ones and that's when you can decide to to choose the positive ones over the negative ones so I think that's like a really good point yeah I think also like my friends always say all the time you know like we always say to each other you can't forget to date your friends you know you have to spend time with your friends always but I think even more importantly than that is you have to date yourself on some level you know like you can't just think you're always going to be fully aware of who you are and what you want you know you have to actually ask yourself those questions and wait for the responses to come and I think you know whether you have hours in the day like I did which made it much easier or like you you know where you had to 
find time and carve it out. I think it's honestly more important than anything else when it comes to living a happy and healthy life. And like on that vein, like think about how you do treat a significant other. Like when you're dating someone and you ask like, how are you? But like you really care like how that person's doing or like you want to know their love language so you can know how you can serve them with love. Like all of those things should be true about how you have your relationship to yourself as well. Like truly asking yourself, how are you? And also caring about the answer as it comes or like asking yourself how you need to give yourself love and like what in what ways are you lacking and what ways can you serve yourself better? Like all of those questions that we ask to significant others and how we water those relationships. I feel like it's really similar to the relationship you have to yourself. Yeah, 100%. And I think in the same way, when you ask a significant other, how are you? You wait and listen for the reply. I think that's the most important part of it is that when you're asking yourself that question, you know, how are you? You can't just brush off and say, oh, I'm good. You know, really sit and think with that and think about what your answer to that question is. Really, how are you? And I mean, it's a little hippy dippy and philosophical, but I do think a lot of people don't spend the time to get get to know themselves. And I think that's been my favorite journey of life so far is really figuring out who I am at, you know, my truest self at at my core. Who really am I? And took a lot of work to figure that one out, but well worth it. We did. Um, okay, so now that you know, as you, the audience, knows a little bit about Veronica and her journey and her amazing advice, I was explaining to them before you came on that you're really fucking funny and you also are a bit of a genius as it pertains to like oh pop culture and relevant life experiences in terms of like pop culture, celebrities, like media, all of that stuff. So I wanted to get into like some of my favorite things to talk to you about in terms of pop culture because you're sort of like an encyclopedia of bullshit where you just like know a little something (laughs) about everything. So to get us started, because this is my favorite thing to tell people that like you know about, can you tell us about Halsey and how Halsey became famous? Like, can you share that with the class? Because nobody knows this. And every time I tell somebody like this, my best friend told me this. They're like, that blew my fucking mind. And even if you're not a fan of Halsey, because I'm personally not her biggest fan. Like, I don't dislike her, but it's, she's not my like girl or anything. Can you like, please, please tell us how she got yes. famous and the whole nine okay. yards. This is so exciting. I get to talk about this. Ah, So basically, back in the day, I was One Direction fangirl number one. You were reading fanfic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was, like, reading, like, my mom, like, sold me to One Direction because she's a drug addict. Like, I, like that was my bread and butter in middle school. You were a directioner, but who was your fave? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So who was my actual fave or who did I tell people was my fave? Because obviously I loved Harry. Like, I was a Harry girl. I still am. Love Mr. Styles. But back in the day, you wanted to, like, be unique with it. And also there would be like drama in the friend group. Like if you all had the same thing, like you were fighting with your girls over someone. So I made up that Louis was my favorite and can actually convince myself he was my favorite. Liar. Um, I was lying. It was pathological. So you had to pick your favorite One Direction member and there was T like in the group chat. Yeah, because someone would be like, oh, well, like I like Harry. And then someone else would be like, 
well, Harry's mine and I'm actually a better fan than you. And you know, you don't even just, so there was drama, but the thing about being a Louie girl is you knew there wasn't going to be as much competition, which I don't understand why. And it was honestly, he like wrote. So that's the thing. I like convinced myself I was a Louie girl, but then I actually became one because turns out he was writing almost all the songs. He seemed so nice. So I ended up actually really, really loving him. But in the beginning, early days, it was like the non-controversial pick. You know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to fight anyone for him. Also, before we go on, is Louis the one that like everyone rumors that Harry Styles was dating? Oh my God, yes. But I like literally, uh, Eli, we'd have to do a whole podcast episode on that. Oh my gosh. Because you hate it or you love it? I have complicated feelings about it. I think, I think it's similar to the, the... We're going to get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So basically, yeah, I was a massive One Direction fan, Louie girl, but secretly I was a Harry girl, which is important because this girl, Ashley from New Jersey, ran a Tumblr account called 17 Black. And it was a Harry Styles fan Tumblr. And as a One Direction fan girl, also Tumblr user extraordinaire, of course I followed her blog and loved it, was a big fan of her. And then Harry Styles starts dating Taylor Swift and the pictures come out of them in Central Park. And oh my gosh, hell breaks loose in the fandom. Girls were crying, screaming, throwing up. Everyone was literally losing their minds. And it really was enough drama to sustain me for a lifetime, but Then Miss Ashley from 17 Black on Tumblr posts a video. She makes a parody song to Taylor Swift's song, I Knew You Were Trouble, about Uh Taylor Swift and Harry Styles. The lyrics were, we knew she was trouble when she snagged Styles. So I'm eating this up, right? I'm like, oh my God. Like, this is everything and more. It was incredible. So then I'm like, this is my girl. And this goes viral in like the One Direction fan space online. So she's now getting a bunch of followers and Twitter was really the big social media of the time. So she's really doing numbers on Twitter. She eventually followed me on Twitter, which was, oh my God, crazy. Does she still follow you? She does still follow me. It's really, I DM her all the time. She never responds. Halsey, if you're hearing this, love you. But yeah, basically, so she was Ashley and she starts releasing some songs as Ashley. And I'm like, yes, girl, queen, slay. I'm loving it. Like, I mean, it was more like, I can't sing for shit, but it was definitely better than me, but I don't think it was some like masterpiece. But for me at that point in time, it was. Like looking back with a critical lens, I don't think it was anything crazy, but... In the moment, I was like creative genius. She can She's hitting the she notes. I think she, she had a ukulele. And <laughs> I was just like, she's everything. She's giving. It's amazing. And so then she starts releasing some music as Ashley. And I was like, I love it. I stand it. It's amazing. And she follows me on Twitter. Everything's going great. And then she has a rebrand. And decides to scramble the letters of her name, Ashley, into Halsey. And I was like, oh my God, new era is dropping. It's going to be killer. And 
it was. Ever since then, she kind of blew up. Um, and she even like was rumored to be dating one of the members of Five Seconds of Summer who were on tour with One Direction at the time. So she was like the ultimate fangirl dream personified. She was this ultimate Harry Styles fan who literally became famous through her like fan love of Harry Styles. And then in a couple years was like Harry Styles adjacent, potentially dating a band member of One Direction's opening act. Like it was, she was the moment. I was so, I was so obsessed. I was like, it's a Wattpad fantasy. It was everything. And now she's like one of the most famous artists in the world. So it's been, it's been a crazy ride, but. Wait, but can you explain where Malsy fits into that then? Like she was singing in malls and she was so bad. I don't even know. No. Okay. So Malsy, basically, I think if I remember correctly, someone like saw her in a mall. And was like, oh, can you sing for us? <laughs> I don't think no. she was like getting paid to perform in the mall. Like, I think a fan saw her and was like, oh, sing a song. But it's so funny now, again, because looking back, I'm like, oh, that's like the Malsy video is like not that good. Okay, but- wait, I found a tweet. Okay, so the mall video. Let's get into it for real. I was a teenager and had never sang in front of people like that before and I had terrible stage fright, so my voice was shaking, even though it was a mall, not a stage. I actually don't mind it because it's sort of sweet, I guess. That's what she says about it. She was singing Blink-182. No, it, honestly, it was iconic and it is iconic. Like, art does not need to be good. Art just needs to make you think. And Malsy, to this day... It's making the it's making the wheels turn. People are thinking. <laughs> we talk about this all the time that like people become such philosophers about art. Like it doesn't need to be good. Like not everything needs to be like literally Pulitzer Prize winning. Like it pisses me off when people are like, well, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like people. Oh, people like the are- books I like am reading all the time now. Guys, I used to read, like, serious, like, literature. Like, I used to be like, oh, yes, the classics. And in the past, like, six months, I have not been able to read a book that's, like, critically acclaimed. Like, it's actually so bad. No, it's literally like, oh, my God, like, I have to marry this mafia boss or else I'm going to die. Like, the plot lines are just so amazing. And, like, and I'm like, on some level, this is art. Like... They aggravate me to no end when they're trying to, like, judge, like, a film that's, like, or, like, a movie that's, like, literally, like, a movie. It's not supposed to be, like, something tremendous. It's fucking Twilight. And people are trying to judge it like it is a film. And I'm, like, it's not, like, this isn't, like, Spielberg. Exactly. Like, I think some art is created with the intention of it being critiqued. And I think other things are just made for enjoyment. And, like, that was Malsy. Like, I was not, like, oh, my God, like, Phantom of the Opera, like, slay, the voices giving. No. Like, I was just, like, oh, my God, this girl who I'm obsessed with because she's now famous off of her Harry Styles Tumblr fan account has a pink hair pixie cut and is wearing an American Apparel crop top and is singing Blink-182 in a mall. Like, everything about it, like, all coming together kismet like it was amazing 
And now looking back, people are like, oh my God, Malzi, like so embarrassing. I'm like, embarrassing? Are you kidding me? Like, it was giving. It was giving and it is giving. Like, we all have to start somewhere. And if Miss Ashley had to start with Malzi, you know what? More power to her. So I'm, because you're just so, because that was so entertaining, I'm now just going to ask you about some of your favorite things that you like to talk about. So you can give me your best like hot takes and opinions surrounding them. I have like four things or five ish. Um, so the first one, Twilight Saga. Like you love it. We know you love like vampire core in general. I mean, I know you do. So Twilight, like I definitely watched when I watched them all in theaters. I read the books when I was younger. I was like, I've always been a Twilight fan, but I would say maybe like five years ago, I like sat like over a weekend and rewatched the entire thing, all five movies. And I think before that I had never done it. And now I'm like Twilight Stan. I rewatched the whole series probably like every two or three months. I literally think it is the most camp piece of cinema like that we've seen in the last like 20 years like I think Twilight is actually so good I'm obsessed with it and recently I found out that twi- the whole story is an allegory for Mormonism which I'm also obsessed with like the lore <laughs> of the Mormons so it just like made everything Wait, like everything just level can you up explain that, like, that to us okay so I'm not like I'm not gonna speak with any certainty here Stephanie Myers is allegedly a Mormon. And so the story goes like this. Jacob Smith, who was like the leader of the Mormon prophets, his Twilight counterpart is Carlisle Cullen. Both originally involved in the church and left to share with the world their new way. Now, the Catholic church in Mormonism Their counterpart in the Twilight world is the Volturi, which when you really think about it, like, duh, how did we not all see that? I'm not sure. But basically, story goes, Carlisle Cullen, aka Jacob Smith, left the Volturi, aka the Catholic Church, to show the world his new way, which for Jacob Smith was Mormonism, and for Twilight is being a vegetarian vampire. So... Obviously, some really astute conclusions being drawn there, but it all makes sense because they had Bella looking frumpy. Do you not remember in the prom scene where she's wearing like leggings under her dress? Oh yeah, that was giving. It was giving new directions, to be honest with you, but (laughs) it really was like... Why did they always wear cropped, airy leggings? No, with like a little lace trim. No, it's like a bolero. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We know vocal adrenaline, like they are dripping sex. They like Wait, are the hottest people you've ever seen. Wearing, like head to toe Dolce and Cabana. Like they were style. They were, they were wearing like vintage Dior Galliano, like, like looking so no, good. Literally. And then you direct walk in wearing boleros and you're like, Wait, are, how are you guys claiming that you're going to win? Like, no, it was, it was, um, and they should have lost on the outfits alone, like, to be honest with you, like, ugh, I don't even know what was going on there. 
And the guys with the black button-down shirts, like, always in a black button-down shirt. Uh, I can't even. I was not into that into the costumes. Glee costumes, no. not for me. But anyways, Twilight. Yeah, Bella, they had her dressing so, like, not cute. Sorry, I don't want to be shading any Mormons who dress modestly. Like, live your truth. Even if you're not a Mormon, you dress modestly. Like, good for you. Oh. But... It was just confusing about Bella. Like, this girl's from Arizona. You think she'd be all about the jean shorts. And then she comes into the first day of school and she's wearing, like, a bowling shirt. You know that shirt? That, and, like, she looks like she's going bowling. Yes. <laughs> and, but suddenly all the guys are like, she's so hot. And I'm like, wait, what? Based on the outfit alone, I'm, like, confused there. But it all, once I found out that this was all about Mormonism, really, the puzzle just... Everything came together. It came together. So that was incredible. Thank you very much. To close that one off, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a theory about this and it's that if you read the books, it's impossible to be Team Jacob. The only people I know- It's impossible. Yeah. If if you're Team Jacob, you didn't read the books. And if you're Team Jacob and you read the books- Please, like, send me a DM. Like, I can you, like, articulate your side? Because I'm so confused how anyone can even draw that conclusion after reading the books. You read the books, no. and I was like, oh, my God. I don't think I understood what love was until I read Twilight. Like, I really think I was in, like, fifth grade being like, oh, like, I get it now. Like, yeah. Edward is head over heels for this girl, willing to die for this girl, willing to give up his family for this girl. And Jacob's like... Bella and I'm like what and then people were like I'm team Jacob and I'm like okay maybe you're not into Edward's you know porcelain sparkly skin maybe you like a, a little tan you like the six pack so Taylor Lautner is doing it for you if you watch the movie like I get how you could watch the movie and end up on team Jacob but if you read the books and you're team Jacob I'm just confused I I don't, I don't, I honestly don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think if you read those books, there is no way you're rooting for Jacob. No. No. And I love that. So that one's closed. The second one I want you to talk about is a shared favorite of ours, Dance Moms. Oh my gosh. Okay, so like I mentioned earlier, was a dancer growing up. I'm a bit older than the Dance Moms girls, but... It was definitely a show that our generation was watching and (laughs) it was very, I don't know, it was very weird because all of a sudden people think they have this knowledge of dance. So they'd be like, oh, like, be like, oh, I have dance after school. And they'd be like, oh, is it like Dance Moms? And I'd be like, no, it's not like Dance Moms. But that show is really just crazy. I like love Dance Moms growing up, but then I found out a bunch of stuff like about how the show went down later in life. And I was like, oh my gosh, again, completely camp. Basically, guys, I don't know if you know this, Kathy is like, she's been involved in musical theater her whole life. She's like a woman of the stage. And they basically hired her and were like, you're going to be the villain. Everything she's doing is her own little production. Like it's all an act. They were like, we need someone with the charisma We need someone who can bring a little cuckoo. Like, they hired Kathy. Like, she's an actress. That's what she's doing. She's acting. Like, everything about it is just so crazy. Also, like, the show in itself is just ridiculous. The concept that they, like, 
all learn new dances every week is just wild. Like, it's it's chaotic. It's amazing. There's drama. There's fun. But what's been so great about Dance Moms is all these girls kind of grew up at a similar time to us, you know, like kind of the birth of social media. So they gained all these followings as the show was growing. And so now they still have the platforms to kind of speak out about the show. And so Dance Moms is like this never ending lore. Like the show ended, but I feel like every other month we get like a YouTube video about inside tea and this went down and that went down. So I love, I love the Dance Moms lore more than anything. Like I love hearing the inside scoop. I love girls going back and reviewing old episodes. Like, it's very fun. Do you have a favorite dance moms girl and a favorite dance mom? Oh, my gosh. It's a really hard question. I kind of want to say that my favorites are Vivi and Kathy. (laughs) Like, first of all, Vivi, like, listen, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, she was not up to snuff with the rest of the girls. And, like, it is what it is, right? Like... (laughs) can't change that but she put on that bumblebee costume and rocked the stage and that's what matters right like she gave it her best shot i mean like did she even give it her best shot like we don't know the girl did not want to be there that was that was clear that was very clear she did not want to be there and you know what it's hysterical like oh my god i don't know what season one would have been without them like it was really too good and then kathy is like the gift that keeps on giving right like Vivi leaves the Abby Lee Dance Company. Like, Vivi's no longer dancing there. But now Kathy is, like, the ultimate rival, the arch nemesis. Kathy is putting together all-star teams just to attempt to even beat the Abby Lee Dance Company. She's following them around the country, competition to competition, uh, hoping to, you know, have her one shot at victory. And it's hilarious. Like, that doesn't happen in the real dance world. And it's amazing. Like... It's just incredible. Like, you knew if Kathy was in the episode, if the girls were facing the candy apples, it was a good episode. It was the highlight of the season. My favorite part about Dance Moms is that in every season, they play the same trope and they do it literally eight times where Abby's like, you guys are done. Fuck you. You went to a football game. We're making a whole new team. And she kicks everybody off the team and then puts together an audition to get a whole entire new team and then ends up not taking anyone new. Oh my God. First of all, it's hysterical, but it's also the way I think it should be obvious to everyone that most of the competitions are faked. Like, (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but Lifetime, who made Dance Moms, owns most of those dance competitions that they go to in the show they were created by lifetime for the purpose of the dance moms girls having somewhere to compete so that's hysterical in and of itself but yeah you i would watch those episodes where it's like the new team the elite team i'm putting together a team of elite dancers from all around the country and the way they absolutely are so much better than the OG team every time literally every time not every time most of the time they're so much better than the OG team but they then they lose to the OGs I'm like you have to you have to watch those episodes and say this has got to be rigged there's no way you watch that episode and leave saying oh these competitions are fair they're we know that they're not but if those episodes didn't give it away I don't know I don't know what to tell you 
do you know what I was just thinking about that I needed to hear your tea on because I've never heard what you think about this the show on TLC called Four Weddings where like the four brides would compete with their weddings and they would go and score each other and they were so fucking mean and like they were terrible they all give the energy of like you're homesick from school but it's the best day of your life because the stuff (laughs) That would go on like late 2000s, early 2010s on TLC. Oh my God. What was that show where they like gave people the makeovers? I don't know. I'm looking up TLC. Okay, there's okay, obviously Cake Boss. Like, oh my God. Cake, don't even get me started, Cake Boss. Are you kidding me? Someone would come in and be like, I need you. You have two days, and I need you to make a life-size model of Heathrow Airport out of cake. And they'd be like, got it. First of all, the whole thing would be PVC pipe and Rice Krispie treats. And it'd break apart on the way to the venue. Like, it was, oh my god, the stakes of that show, so high. I literally can't breathe. I just think Four Weddings was so mean. Like, there's no way that was okay. No, but that's that's how TV used to be, especially like reality TV, you know, where you have like people from the public on there. It was vicious and it was cruel. And it was not at a time where people were like, we need to be kind to each other. And listen, I'm all for that message. And while I do think it's a great thing, we can't deny <laughs> that. That Breaking Amish wasn't a great show. Oh, my God. Breaking Amish. Are you kidding me? Seeing four, seeing four Amish king, Amish kids on their rumspringa, like, are you kidding me? That is genius television. Like, TLC was putting out bop after bop after bop. Like, oh my god, all those shows. And it's exactly what I said. Like, you're homesick from school, and like, you know, you're about to have the time of your life. Wait, Storage Wars. Storage Wars is such a you show. Storage Wars. Storage Wars. Are you kidding me? That is the best, Eli. Think about this as a concept. Think about this. Storage wars. They they are competing to buy storage units at auction and they have no idea what's in them. Oh my God. Like, I can't. It's, it's the thing is that people are either like real tried and true TLC people or you're a Bravo person. Like, you're not allowed to be both. You can't be watching Storage Wars and Below Deck. Like, Oh my god. Don't get it. No, honestly. But I think Oh my god. I think they're just both incredible. Like I just love the genre of TV that's like we're not doing anything educational. We're not changing lives. There's no message here. Like just sit back, relax and have fun. And I think that's what TLC and Bravo are about. It's like we were saying earlier, not everything needs to be, you know, created for the purpose of nuanced critical review like we can have tv that's just about having fun well that being said storage wars is critically acclaimed well as it should be because storage wars is literally amazing okay so i want to move on to like one last thing before i ask you the final question that i have for you which is talking about taylor swift because you're a big taylor swift fan i don't know if you would consider yourself a swifty but i'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the whole like gayler thing and this like swifty easter egg culture in general okay so what i will say about the gayler stuff is that i think if you're a queer fan and you're finding queer themes in taylor swift's music 
that's amazing. And I really am genuinely happy for those people because I think it's amazing that you can relate to this art artist, whether or not on paper, you know, you're aligned in that way. And I think that's a really hard thing for artists to be able to do. So it's also, you know, kind of singing the praises of Taylor Swift. If she can connect with her fans in that way who are queer when she doesn't herself identify that way, that's amazing. Um, but the Gaylers. I mean, listen, I guess at the end of the day, everyone can do what they want and she's a public figure, so her life is going to be commented on. But all that being said, I do think... I do think there's a lot of confirmation bias at play when all that stuff is, you know, being passed around on social media. And it was a very, you know, similar thing that went down in the One Direction space when it came to Larry Stylinson and all that's still going on that, you know, people want this narrative to be true. And so they analyze every thought, behavior, move that the artists make in order for the result of that analysis to confirm their narrative. And I saw <laughs> completely different vein, but I saw a Swifty video that was a theory that Midnight's as an album doesn't exist because <laughs> because I forget what their first reason was, but their second reason was that if you look at the 12th track on the Evermore album, which is her most recent new album, the opening lyrics like suggest that the album is fake and I'm like I'm so sorry why would it be fake you know what I will say though aside from the Gaylor conspiracy theories they're just regular old Swifty easter egg theories oh my gosh I eat them up like it is those people they amaze me first of all the Swifties have like maybe like a one percent success rate when it comes to the theories which is just hilarious and they're all trying so hard because they want to crack all these codes and it's so funny the stuff that people come up with I'm like you have a more creative mind than I ever will I don't I don't even know where you're coming up with these things but I love them I can't look away I watch every single one I ponder after as well I'm like could this be real is that what Taylor Swift is really trying to do and first of all, also the memory these people have. When they see a theory, they're like, oh, well, obviously that's referencing this thing that happened 10 years ago. And I'm like, whoa, they're like, these people are like true encyclopedias on Taylor Swift. And they know they so much about her. They remember her every move. And they have these creative minds where they try and weave all these things together. And it really, really fascinates me. And Midnight's being a, a, a fake album is another perfect example I would uh, I could read the book on Taylor Swift and I would have never never come up with that as a potential theory and I think I think they're going for it they're gonna you know shoot at the wall until something sticks and I respect it they're a fandom that I think has more perseverance than anyone else the Swifties will persevere oh my god they will they've being a Taylor Swift fan has not always been easy They've been through it all, and I have a lot of respect for them. No, I agree. Even though I did get a comment when I made my Swifty video, and the comment was like, you need to stop perpetuating Swifty hate, or else we're going to see another influx 
of Swifty negativity and hate toward us and toward our community. And I was like, guys. No, but again, like, it plays into their whole thing. They're, they're here for the drama. They're taking the Swifty hate very personally. And, you know, it's building on their brand. Like, you're right. It really is. And you know what? At the end of the day, you have to respect it. You do. You do. Okay. So for my last question, like you're studying media and you love social media. So I'm curious just to hear your general thoughts about the social media landscape and the influencer landscape and like what your predictions are for what's next and what's changing. Ooh, okay. Very interesting question. Um, thoughts on the landscape right now are I have so many but I think the first thing that comes to mind especially when it comes to influencers I think we've been seeing this discourse a lot lately right where people are just shocked how much influencers get paid and yeah I think it's so funny because when you look at how much companies used to spend on traditional advertising versus how much they spend paying influencers, they are saving boatloads of cash. Boatloads. They could be paying influencers so much more. And like, they're saving so much money doing influencer marketing. So it's really this interesting thing where marketing and advertising is just as important as it's always been, but now it's easier, faster, and cheaper you know when you choose to utilize influencers so I think that is changing things not only for you know brands themselves who need to market and advertise but also people who are going to exist in that world and can be utilized for marketing and advertising purposes so I think everything's just kind of so interesting to me right now but I think when talking about the future of marketing and the influencer space right now, we're really, you know, limited by technology or limited by the technology of the time. So when you're talking about social media platforms, yeah, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and YouTube are all different. They're all unique, but the formula is the same, right? You can follow people, you can see what they post, they can see what you post. You know, you can have a public account, you can have a private account, people can interact with the things you post, you can message people, they're all pretty much functioning off the same formula, right? And on some level, that's because they're limited by the technology that hosts the platforms. They're limited by, you know, an iPhone or a computer. And so... I think it's hard to predict what's coming next in the influencer space until we see what technologies really become global because that'll really be what shifts the industry. And I think looking at AR and VR is super interesting. And I think that's where, you know, things are heading. A lot of people talk about AI, but I think, I don't know. I think AI will definitely have a lot of applications in the future, but I think when it comes to marketing specifically, there's something very unique about influencer marketing in that you can place your trust in a person 
And I don't, I don't know if as a species we'll be in a place in our lifetime where we feel we can place our trust in a machine in the same way. Yeah. And so I think what's going to be more interesting for the influencer space is augmented reality and virtual reality. Well, that scares me. So hopefully you can um, manage my brand when that happens. Oh my gosh. Should we get, we, we should go like to a VR like arcade and go do like VR games as like kind of a, a soft launch of you understanding the world of virtual reality. I'll take you up on it if it means you come home. <laughs> yeah, I'll come home. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. That was so much fun. And you guys will see some content of us live back in person coming up for the holidays. Ah, thank you so much. I had the best time. Okay, guys. Also, one last thing. Veronica is writing her like dissertation on music fans and she needs Swifties to DM her that want to be included and interviewed. And I know that there are fucking Swifties that are listening to this. So please DM her on IG and I'll put her handle in the description of the episode. And that's it. We love you. Thanks so much for coming on, V. Yay! Slay mignon, guys. Slay, Slay mignon. mignon. Bye.